Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today as Pastor Kevin Dibley brings the message, A New Day and a Clear Vision. In Genesis 9, after the flood, God blesses Noah and charges him to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. That is the marching orders for the church. The wasteland of the world is meant to be transformed with the life-giving, life-transforming power of God. Our purpose and calling are clear and God's commitment is unswerving. Let's pray that each of us has this kind of clarity giving hope and purpose for our lives in a world that is precious in the eyes of the Lord. Let's worship together. Children can uh, head downstairs to uh, Sunday school at this time, Junior Church. And uh, thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. Now, it's, it's interesting as we've been studying Genesis, just how the Lord has given us illustrations along the way practically. I, a few weeks ago, we were talking about the destruction and the wind, and all of a sudden the wind was blowing all the trees around, and now we're coming out of the ark into a new day and a new creation. It just feels like it's a new day when the, with the temperature jumping up. I'm going to open up the windows a little bit, not to blind all of you, but I can't really speak on a new day without you seeing a little bit of the creation. Is that okay? If it, if it affects you... Um, then you forgive me. <laughs> I'll, 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 uh, hopefully it's not too bright. Yeah, there's always a danger with my bald head that it skips and, and causes increased glare, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you're all right. Um, but you know, uh, let, let's just pray as we go in, because as we look at Genesis 9, again, um, all of this is setting up the people of God to go and face their enemies, and to uh, advance the, the, the nation that God has promised to Abraham uh, in, a, in, a, in a hostile world. And again, we come into worship with all of the baggage week by week of living in the world. And I've talked to some of you this morning, and you're, uh, you're amazed you're here <laughs> after the week you've had. And I am hope that there's hope and grace, but there's more than just hope and grace to survive What's going on in the scriptures is that there's a calling and an ability to thrive and advance the kingdom of God against all the darkness and against all that has gone on. And so here we have coming out of the ark, a new day dawning. So would you pray with me that there might be a new day in your life and that there would be a fresh day of the advance of the gospel through our church and through the church in the nations so that what we um, what we're shaped by, what we conform to, is not the news, and not darkness, and not, uh, not as if, because you feel like the defeat is all around us when Christ is risen, and that God is sovereignly working in these difficult places. There should be an expectancy in your life that God is orchestrating something of glory, for his people. So we probably need to pray that out a little bit. Okay, so would you bow your heads and let's begin with confession. And uh, just confess. Maybe you need to confess unbelief. Maybe you need to confess sin. Just confess. You can confess. He is faithful and just to forgive your sins. Now would you give gratitude? Thank God in your heart. Thank him for his love. Thank him for his faithfulness. Now would you invite God? Invite God to speak to your heart directly today. Invite God to do what he knows needs to happen in your life 
even if you don't know what needs to happen in your life. Now pray for the people around you. Take your eyes off yourself. Pray that for the people that are worshiping with you today. Ask God to work in Waterbrook and all our visitors and each one. Now pray for Victoria. Pray for this little community where we are. Ask God to save, to help, to rescue. Pray for Minnesota and the United States of America. Now, pray for the nations. Here's what I want you to pray about. Pray about the hardest place you think it would be for the gospel to go. Heavenly Father, your mission is our mission. We are your people, the sheep of your pasture. Nothing is too difficult for you. So come now, speak through your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read to you from Genesis chapter 9. I'm going to read the first seven verses, but we'll take some highlights from the whole of the chapter. Genesis chapter 9. Verse 1 to 7, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Got that? I'm just going to pause there in case you, in case you hadn't woke up when I started reading. Sometimes you, your brain clicks in, you know, so I'm just giving you a second for your brain to click in. So let me read it again. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens and upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything." But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. It's quite the text, isn't it? Here they are, they're coming out of the ark. I, you know, some of us were talking this last week. What was it like to be in that ark? As the wrath of God was poured out on all of creation. As that um, ark that had been built over a hundred years began to sway and to creak and to move whatever it was like and God shut them in and kept them and you could imagine in your mind palpably what was it what it was like to know that outside outside was devastation and then in the mercy of God God rescues and delivers his people calls them his Noah and his family out of the ark. And so we have this setting on Mount Ararat. And, and as they come out, it's a, a time of new beginning. It's a new day. Now, Deb, I think, and I were talking earlier this week of that probably wasn't the most pleasant of vistas to come out, right? I remember uh, these days when I lived up in Thunder Bay, north of Lake Superior, and we would almost always, every spring, make a, a trip south to Duluth. 
you know, we had to go someplace warm. <laughs> and so we would make the drive to the sunny south of Duluth, Minnesota, along the North Shore. And there was something sweet about the streams coming out of the boundary waters and Grand Marais and two harbors beginning to break and some of the salmon would run up or the trout would run up those streams and we would make our way and you just began to get the sense that maybe spring was coming. But I tell you, it was uh, barely a hint of it. Often when we would come down, the waters were flowing, but the trees hadn't budded yet. Maybe here and there there was a green leaf. I'll tell you what else was there. All the deer that got ran over on Highway 61 the whole winter. Uh, you know, so the snow would pull back, and it was not really the pleasant. So you were in that mixed state of, wow, isn't this fabulous? The sun is shining. It feels so warm. Isn't that disgusting? You know, isn't that revolting? It's wonderful. Look at the live deer. Look at the dead deer, you know, and all the way down to Duluth. And as we were traveling, there was a sense of anticipation, but also a reality. Now, I don't know what it was like to come out of the ark, but certainly there was that mix of what had just transpired and yet what was going to happen. And it is interesting, I think, when we come to this text of Scripture, that in this text of Scripture, the Lord must command them to go, to start again, to build again, to be fruitful, and to multiply. And of course, as we studied in previous weeks, the story of Noah is a picture of the gospel. That as Noah and his family were delivered from the wrath of God in the ark, you and I are delivered from the wrath of God in Jesus. That Jesus is our ark. And we hide ourselves in Him, and through Him we have been rescued and redeemed by God. And so as we come into Jesus Christ, and we've been re rescued from sin and condemnation, we are not called to stay in the little huddle of our church ark. But we hear the same call, go and be fruitful and multiply. Make disciples of all nations. That's the call. When you've been delivered, you have not been called to keep it to yourself. When you've been rescued, you have not been called to huddle to yourself. You don't turn on the news and let the news dictate that you're going to hide and cower and be afraid. You turn on the good news and realize that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So this is a glorious picture of God's call, God's work, God's mission to move them out, out of catastrophe into the great story of redemption, salvation, and making things new. So let me give you a quote. I've quoted Christopher Wright a couple of times. His text on the mission of God, the Missio Dei, is a mission arises where? From the heart of God. So you'll see when we get into Genesis 9, it's God go sending them. It's God's mission. Mission is, arises from the heart of God himself and is communicated from his heart to ours. So as we read this, you get to know your God. He's saying, go, 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 go. Make, multiply, fill the earth. Mission is the global outreach of the global people of a global God. Isn't that great news? And so my purpose in Genesis 1 to 11, you've seen it by now, is to seek by the word of God to get you to see the vision and the heart of God for the nations, to fill the nations with his glory, to see the nations drawn to him, to see that we have what the world desperately needs, the hope and the life of God, and to, to begin to build into our mindset. Because what is it easy for us to do? Stay home. What's it easy for us to do? Move into survive. Aren't you just trying to survive? How many of you have just tried to survive this last week, right? And, and, and we need to be reminded that in the middle of the struggle of life is a God who is reigning over life and building his, uh, uh, a kingdom for his glory in the midst of it all. We walk through the wasteland and the wilderness following a God who has said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so what's happening in Genesis chapter 9 is God is launching Noah and his family back out into the world to accomplish what God has purposed from before the foundation of the world. God's plan has not stopped. 
God's vision has not failed. God's mission is in gear. And so as you and I read through this, we need to pray, God, let me see, let me have, let me share in the gospel hope. It's what you're called to do. So again, let me just ask you for a moment to name the cadavers in your mind that are keeping you from pressing forward with the hope of the gospel. Don't we have them? Don't we have those dark, wounded, shadowy places that we need to have the truth of the purpose and plan of God correct us? I mean, we need a vision of God's glory. We need to have light. Is it? So, you know, this is, again, I'll use Bruce as, as an example. I like all of these pieces. But, you know, one of the big things about art is light. Right? I mean, you ask any artist, the, one of the big questions you're going to say is, well, where do I put the shadows? And where do I bring in the light? So this little moon picture over here is my moon picture. So I, I have a, a camera that has a three million... Uh, thing lens so I can actually see the there's actually Martians right no I'm just kidding um, but you know what this picture would be non-existence if there wasn't what I mean it's the division of light and darkness and God put the moon there to be light to rule over the night and so we come into the scriptures and we realize that in the pitch black darkness of a world and in the shadows of our lives we need light to break through and God speaks to them because because I am sure they would be pretty affected by PTSD let's 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 not make this scene easily palpable they're not radically different than you and I Noah and his family will see it very quickly they're still fallen it's still a broken world it's still a struggle And God has to speak. His word is what will move them. His truth will transform them. His hope will give them delight. So let me just back off a little bit, and then I'm going to switch gears here. But I just want to pull back to let you meditate a little bit and ask the question of yourself, have you found yourself shell-shocked by the darkness? It's okay, it's okay. We all do. And whatever the darkness is, I, you know, I know, I, don't, I, I know almost all of you. And I almost want to close my eyes when I speak because if I look at you, you're thinking, you know me, you know my situation, you know me, you know my situation. It's the whole church, right? So as I'm looking around at you this morning, I know you're shell-shocked. I know it's hard to live in this world. I know that most of us, are looking for that little corner of safety so we don't get hit by the shrapnel. We've been in the shrapnel of broken families. We've been in the shrapnel of broken churches, right? We've been in the shrapnel of death and sorrow and grief. And we're sitting there, and the number one thing we, are, we tend to do is we tend to retreat to safety. Anybody like me? Do you feel that tendency? Just Let me just get in that safe little corner. Let me, you know what it's like? So you know what this is like. Um, our house, we have furniture on the back patio, and we have furniture on the front porch. And one of the reasons is that hopefully at certain times of the day you can get out of the shadows and the wind into the sun, right? So some days the wind's blowing from the west, northwest, so it's better to sit at the back of the house. So I sit out there early in the morning when the weather gets nice and I make my coffee and I I get my devotions and I put my camera and the bluebirds fly around. But some days it's freezing out there. You need to go on the other side of the house because I hate the wind. I hate the cold wind. I love a warm wind. Minnesota has very few warm winds, right? 
this. I just want to get in the little nook in the corner where I can't feel the cold. We all do that. And the only thing that will get us out of our comfort and into the brokenness of other people's lives, out into our neighborhoods and as we prayed into the nations, the only thing is the almighty power of God speaking through the promise and the word of God directing us into the will of God. That's what Genesis 9 is, moving them out. You'll see pretty quick, they don't want to move out. You know the Tower of Babel? What are they going to do? Let's just settle down right here. And God's going to have to say, move on out. You ever done that? Police officer, driving down the road. Keep moving. Nothing here to see. Keep moving. Keep moving. This is a keep moving text. This is to move us on. This is to move us into mission. This is to move us into hope. So here's the first thing I want you to see in Genesis chapter 9. In order for us to be moved, in order for these people to be moved, we need to have an expansive global vision. I'm, I'm going to ask you this really personally. It doesn't matter if you're 10 years old or 100 years old. I'm going to ask you, do you have an expansive global vision? Or has life made you settle down to personal survival? Because God has a vision to fill the whole earth with his glory. That's what his purpose is. So read Genesis 9. God blessed Noah. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. God blessed Noah and his sons, gave them just a little command. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Is that a pretty expansive vision? Whose vision is that? Whose view of that? So Colton earlier read from Psalm 67. Marianne and I have prayed this over our marriage. This is why this text is important to us. Because the Bible says that God blesses his people. But God doesn't bless his people in order that a stop would be put in the top of the bottle so that we might enjoy the goodness of God and the blessing of God for ourselves. So Genesis, uh, sorry, Psalm 67 says, May God be what? Gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Where does that come from? I mean, retrospectively, this is written by Moses. This is Aaron's blessing, right? Right? So this is the blessing of Aaron. God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Let's just stop there. Who wants that prayer today? Right? Do you want that prayer today over your life? That's a good prayer, isn't it? Let's close. Let's close in prayer and let's go home. See, we all want verse 1, but there's a motive in verse 1. Why? That your way may be known on earth. Whose way? God's way. Well, God help us and bless us and strengthen us so that people might know who you are. Your saving power among all nations. Do you deserve the favor of God? Do you deserve God to be gracious towards you? Have you merited it? Maybe somebody here thinks they are. Can I help you if you think that? No, you're wrong, right? We have all sinned, the Bible says. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. But he has been merciful to us, and he has been gracious to us, and he has blessed us with the salvation. And we pray that people, this is what the Apostle Paul said, he was the chief of sinners. Why? Why did God save him the chief of sinners? Yeah, that's what he did. But what was the reason for God saving Paul of all people? Right, so that he might demonstrate his incomparable patience towards those who would believe. Isn't that the great news? Paul said, you know why God saved me? Because if God can save me, he can save anybody. Isn't that what we want? Oh, God, show mercy to me so that my siblings who know I'm the, the, the rebellious son, who in the Old Testament would have been put to death, Save me so that they might know his saving power to the ends of the earth. That our boast would be in the Lord. Let the peoples, what? Praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So can I give you a couple of points here? Let's go to the next slide. God's blessing in chapter 9 comes with God's calling. God blessed them and then said what? Be fruitful and multiply and fill all the earth. 
God's blessing comes with God's calling. We are called stewards in the Bible. So God's blessing isn't so that we might run around and be the poster child of prosperity. God's blessing has come so that we might be the poster child of God's mercy and His deliverance. God blesses us so that we might bless others, be fruitful and multiply. So in our lives, and, and let me say this, you need, we need, I need to study the Bible in such a way that I redefine blessing. Because God's blessing is sometimes found in our deepest sorrows. It takes a while to figure that out. But God sustained me when I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And God helped me by means of my brokenness. And you read through the Bible and the call of Christ to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. And you realize God's blessing is not material, financial. That's why the psalmist rescue, uh, wrestles with God in Psalm 37, and he rescues, wrestles with God in Psalm 73 because the wicked seem to prosper. And then he stops and considers the end of the wicked. And he thanks God that God, his inheritance has come in a good place, that the Lord is my strength and my salvation, right? The Lord is my inheritance. The Lord is my portion. Thank God I have Jesus that he's blessed me with his son. God's blessing comes with God's calling. God's blessing comes with what? God's provision and protection. So as they come out of the ark, it's devastation. And God now changes the rules, it says in chapter two, in, in chapter nine, verses two and three. He says, you know, I gave you every green thing to eat. Now I give you all the creatures to eat. This is permission to have their first barbecue. You know what? How, sorry, some of you may not be meat eaters, but they did. They got permission. They grill. Uh, sorry, this is, I use, you don't use the word barbecue here. You use grill, right? In Canada, grill is barbecue and barbecue is grill and all that kind of stuff, so I get that one wrong. I went in someplace and I said, I'd like to buy a barbecue, and they went, do you want a sandwich or something like that? And then they said, oh, you mean a grill. So, you know what? Waterbrook, we have a great property. We're going to grill this summer if God wills. Right? If the Lord allows, Hillary is already on it. We're going to have dates. We're going to get together. We can't wait to be together, to feast together. And when we feast together, we feast not on the food. Usually we toast it, smoke it, burn it, whatever. We get together to feast on the fellowship of union and community with Jesus Christ, to be with people, to fellowship around and to feed on what Christ has done for us. Well, God has provided everything. He, he sends them out and he says, you know what? Number one, I will give you all that you need as you go. Now, here, here's a reminder to us. When God calls us, he doesn't give us everything before he sends us. He gives us what we need as we go. His grace is sufficient for us. It takes away some of our excuses for not following him. Secondly, he gives us protection there, and he, he, and, and he builds into animals a fear of man. Have you ever seen how animals are naturally fearful of men, generally speaking? I mean, occasionally a great white shark will do the uh, unusual. But, I, you know, I grew up in Canada. I can't tell you how many times I have walked up on a black bear. But... Um, I can tell story after story after story of being from here to Marianne, away from black bears walking in, having them come walking up to me. But almost, well, not almost always, every time I have encountered a black bear in the wilderness, I have so intimidated them. They just looked at me and thought, oh, man, that guy is a monster. <laughs> and they headed for, you know what? I look at them and think, what are they thinking? They could eat me right now. They're running one way, I'm running the other way. But they run. Why do they run? God made them run. I told the story before sleeping in a tent late at night, and I can hear a moose run by my tent, and then I hear the howling of a pack of wolves hunting that moose, and then I, I hear the, one of the wolves sniffing my tent, and he stops and sniffs my bald head. And I'm sitting in a tent, and all I have is a knife, and I'm thinking, this is absolutely ridiculous. And then the wolf takes off. Now, I 
smelt bad. So that might explain it. But the only explanation I have is in the design of God, he has built in his intentional protection. And this is the promise of God to people as he launches us out. He provides everything you need when he calls you to go, and he protects you as long as you are called to go. And your protection only runs out when your ultimate protection comes, which is when he takes you home to glory. And Jesus will talk about that in Matthew, where he says, not a hair on your head will be hurt. Right? And then he says, then they will come and kill you. And you go, wait a second, will they come and kill me? Or will you protect my hair? And the answer is, okay, I know what you're all thinking, so... Some promises matter more to other people than us, but there's a, there's a metaphor in this. It's an illustration. His point is simply this, that he will protect you all the way home. If he calls you and equips you and he sends you, he will deliver you. And so God's blessing then comes with God's passion. At the end of this, God blesses them, and then he says, go, and what? Right, fill all the earth, make disciples of all nations. Can you tell me, is this a half-hearted command? Is God saying, set up a camp just down, the, down at the bottom of Ararat? Let's just make a nice little garden. What does he say? Go and fill all the earth. What's, what do you know about your God? Your God loves the nations. Your God loves the peoples of the earth. God will show his glory to the ends of the earth. And so when God comes and he blesses us, he blesses us, but behind his blessing is a motivation that his glory would be known by all people, that we would not be the only blessed, that the blessing would not stop with us and it would not end with earthly life. It would not be limited to our little experience. His goal is that the blessings would go to the end of the earth and would last to the end of time. Isn't that great news? So do you have that vision? Because that's your Monday morning vision, folks. This is Monday morning life. To move out, you got to get out of bed. Turn off your Fox News, CN News, or whatever news. Turn it off and read the good news. Read the Bible. Get out of bed and say, there is a vision greater than my unbelief. God, I believe. Help my unbelief. Do we need to pray that today? We need to pray that we would have an expansive global vision. Thanks, Bruce, for jumping back. Now you can jump back ahead. An extreme valuation of the worth of human beings. Did you hear what he said about what happens to you if you kill another human being? How long did it take for murder to happen in the book of Genesis? It is there. But what happens in this text in Genesis chapter 9 is he says, I'll give you all these animals, but you do not act like animals to one another. He says, for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning, verse 5, for every beast I'll require from man. For from his fellow man I will require reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man's blood shall be shed, for God made him in his own image. God is jealously protective of human beings. Now you ask yourself, God comes along and says, you do not shed blood. He is protective of life. You and I just got to stop and think about this just for a moment. We are the guardians of life. We are. We are the defenders of the dignity of human life. And we have to have an anchor in that because the culture does not. You just watch some of the comments that are made publicly when somebody says, you shouldn't kill a fetus. Right? Any of you heard any of that recently? And they think, how dare you protest? What are you talking about? We are the ones who stand up and say, made in the image of God. Life is sacred. And you do not take life. You never take life. If you take life, you will answer with your life. And that's behind the, the, the dignity of God. So why do we say that? It's not, simply, it's not simply so that we can protest on corners against things that we disagree with. It's because there are lives at the end of the earth. And any dignified nation has been made up of citizens who were willing to give up their lives 
to honor the sacredness of life. And a world that's gone upside down turns it the other way around, right? When we would rather serve ourselves and save our own lives rather than sacrifice for the lives of others. So Paul, in this passage in Acts Acts 20, when he gets to the end of his life, he is conscious that the life is where? In the, what does, what represents life? Blood. They weren't to eat the blood. They weren't to eat blood in the meat. And they were not to take blood, uh, take the lifeblood of another person. And Paul understands that the lifeblood represents the human. And, and that the ministry that he has in the gospel as he comes to the end of his life, when he goes to the nations, is this. Your life matters. So he says it this way when he talks to the Ephesian elders. I testify you to this day that I am innocent of what? The blood of all of you. When he says the blood of all of you, what does he mean? He's not just saying I didn't kill you. What's he saying? I preach the gospel to you. I didn't hide anything. I didn't keep the truth in darkness. Your life matters. I did not, what? Shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So let me walk through and just make a couple of comments here. Number one, in this passage of Scripture, we are called to recognize the value of human beings in the eyes of God. This is a glorious thing. Who is speaking? God. You've been made in the image of God. And God putting his image on you is different than all the other creatures and and places you in a unique relationship with God. So I'm just going to say a couple things about what it means to be made in the image of God. Number one, you are endowed with capacity. I guess I'm repeating myself there. But you have been endowed with capacity, which means that you have the ability in and of yourself to think and to act in a way that other creatures cannot. That's why the art matters right? Because you have the ability to think and to worship, to appreciate, to comprehend, to, to delight in, to think about the implications. The Bible says God put eternity in your heart. There's no, just tell you this, there's no therapy going on down the hill with the squirrels. They're all nuts. Oh, sorry. Okay, I made that up on the spot, so it's it's worth what it is, right? The animals are not contemplating their raison d'être, to use a little French. Their reason for being, why they exist. You have been made to think and to interact and to commune. You've been made that, that's what human life is. It's been made for glory. You have capacity to enjoy glory. You have been made for community. Jesus in John chapter 17 says to his disciples that he's going to back to be with his Father and he wants them to be with him so that they might see the glory that he had with his Father before the foundation of the world because the Father loved him before the world was even formed. You ever, you ever wanted to bring somebody home to meet your family? You ever wanted somebody to experience something that you've experienced that's delightful? For Jesus, he said, I can't. And and imagine what it was like. Because we sometimes think about people who leave here and go. Marianne and I just watched the movie Free Burma Rangers, and I encourage you to do that. It was produced by Francis Chan, but it was in the theaters this week just for a couple of days. But here are people who are going into Burma originally and then Burmese people going into Iraq to save people who are being shot up in Mosul by ISIS. Christians who are laying down their lives in the wilderness and you're watching them and all that they've left and they got their kids with them. They raised their kids doing this. And you hear the kids testifying, thanking their parents for giving them a different life. Not a protected life, but a life that counts for the kingdom of God. Now, they did protect them. You could tell the father's protective like any father is. But, but there is in this sending out of people, and we were watching this movie just thinking, here are people who left this for that. Can you imagine what it was like for Jesus to leave heaven to live in the wilderness of our sin, brokenness, alienation, lying, stealing, cheating? Here's the answer. No, you cannot. The Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit have enjoyed uninterrupted, blameless, beautiful, perfect harmony and love for all eternity. And Jesus left that so you could share in it. See what's going on here? Launching us. We have been made to long for what they have enjoyed for all eternity, the one triune God. We've been made for that. You've been destined. So that's why, friends, that's why I talk to you all the time. There are times when many of you feel acutely lonely. You ever stopped and wondered why you feel acutely lonely? Because you've been made in the image of the triune God. You were made to reach out, to love. What does pain, sin, murder, and death do to you? What does PTSD make you do? It makes you pull back. I'm not going to risk anymore. I'm not going to get wounded again. I'm not going to dare to go into relationships again. We just back off, back off. And, you, you, and then you're in the ark, not of Christ, but the ark of your own salvation. And God says, no, go out. This world has been made. You've been made in my image. Love in my image. Value human life. But also, this is it. You've been destined for what? Glory. To be made in the image of God is that one day, because you are being made new in the image of God, you will share in Jesus' glory. Won't that be great? Peter, when he saw the transfigured Jesus, was radically changed. He talks about it in Second Peter, that he saw the majestic he calls Jesus. He doesn't call Jesus Jesus in 2 Peter chapter 1. He calls him the majestic glory. He sees him. And he says, that's the future. That's our future. That's glory. And that's what drives us forward. Because we know that we can lay down our lives because that will be our destiny. And so outwardly we're decaying, but inwardly we're being transformed. We are moving from glory to glory. We have Christ in you, the hope of Glory. Isn't that great news, folks? You, as a Christian, have guaranteed glory. And even the trials and tribulations can only work to, sh- to shape you to share in His glory. I am convinced, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, that this suffering is not worthy to be compared with the glory that is yet to be revealed. Glory for you and glory for me. Realize then in this passage the value of human life. Realize the reason why Christ had to die. Why did Jesus have to die? Because human beings who had sinned had fallen short of the glory of God. And the life is in the blood. And so Hebrews says without the shedding of blood there is no Remission of sin. We are guilty and we're in need of forgiveness and our offenses of of an infinite weight against the holy God. What we do to one another, friends, that's why God says, you know, and I hope you tremble, I tremble over this. It would be better that you would be, have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown in the sea than you cause one of these, what? Little ones to stumble. What's going on there? We've been made in the image of God. And we are not just a chicken and a rooster and a dog. And that's not saying, I mean, that's the problem, right? We, we get more worked up about what people do with their chickens than we do with their children. We need to respond in a way, that's what he's saying here, that shows the worth of every human life. So I think I put the quote on here. Bruce, you want to just flip to the next one? I repeat this quote all the time because it's out of my favorite book, out of my favorite lecture. In fact, I'm going to hear, we're going to hear, God willing, this summer, we're going to hear this live where C.S. Lewis originally spoke it in Oxford because Max McLean is going to do the weight of glory there and we're going to be over there, God willing, who knows what's going on in the world. but, But this is what Lewis wrote, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mortal. Mere mortal. Nation, right, that's a key word, mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal. And their life to ours is as that of the life of a gnat. But it is immortals that we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. I just want you to think about that. The girl who's checking you out at Kowalski's 
and, and, and um, giving you two scoops of crappie minnows at the bait shop. And the bus driver and your supervisor, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Now, this does not mean that we have to be perpetually solemn. But what we must play, but our merriment must be that of that kind, and it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taking each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, and no presumption. You know what he's saying here? When my granddaughters come, God willing, at the beginning of April... I am going to get down on the ground and play with them. I'm going to wrestle. I'm going to feed them what I call yucky charms. I'm going to get them balloons, and we're going to sing Frozen. We're going to, uh, I don't know what's next. Maybe we'll sing something else. I'm going to get down there, but I'm going to get down there and laugh and sing and joke and tickle and squeal, not because I just want to be distracted. It's because these are eternal people. And they will know that they matter. And I will look them in the eyes and I will hear their hearts and I will pay attention. God help me. God help me. I hope you feel this. As, I wrestle with this as a pastor. because There's so many voices. Sundays are really hard. Sundays are really hard. Because I just want to alienate every single one of you and make sure you know in some small measure. When I say, how do you take? When I see you, Tate, see him smile, he hates being pointed out. When, when, I, when I see Tate, I just say, Tate, I just want you to know God loves you more than I can ever say. I don't want you to think I'm thinking about anybody else. It's little, give me a microsecond where somebody knows something about what God means to them. And God, forgive me because I fail every Sunday because I'm not God. But you understand? There are no, this is what you, these... Go to the ends of the earth. Fill all the earth. Why? Because that person in Wuhan, China, who has the virus, matters to the Almighty. More than my little comfort zone. Pray. Plead. I get get a... I get, some of you know we prayed this morning. I get, a, I get a message this morning from my friend Ray, who I prayed with for years. And she, she writes me and says, did you hear David's son died? And I text her back, no. And she says, will you call him? I said, yes. So today I'm going to call David because his 19-year-old son died. I didn't know his son died. So here, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? What am I, I don't know. All I know is God. He matters to God. You see what moves you to mission? What moves you to mission is to get a vision of God's glory for the nations and to get a heart of God for people. There are no mere mortals. Right? Right, Steve? Asher? Winslow? Do they matter? These little guys? One pound? Two pounds? Are they two, is anybody two pounds yet? Winslow's two pounds now? Yeah. Asher's two pounds now. You just look at these little precious lives. My dear friends, don't come to Waterbrook and walk out without believing this. We, we may not sing it right. We may not say it right. We may not pray it right. But let us say this. Whatever your struggle is, he knows, he cares, and it matters. You matter to God. The nations matter to God. Do you get what I'm doing here? Amen. I'm launching you. He's launching them out into the world. Humans are made in the image of God, and it matters to God. Okay. Quickly, next couple of points out of this text. An eternal expectation in God's covenantal commitment to global salvation. (laughs) I'm going to say this really quick. God makes a covenant in Genesis 9. Do you remember the covenant? He says, if you look up in the clouds, what will you see? A rainbow. And when God says there's a rainbow... He says, every time you see that rainbow, be reminded of two things. Number one, I am making a covenant with creation that I will never destroy all of creation again with a flood. And so right now, let me just tell you what's going on. Creation is waiting for the redemption of the sons of men. 
Creation can't wait till we get our act together. And the only way we get our act together is when God gets our act together in Jesus. So that's what Romans 8 says. Creation is longing and groaning right now for the redemption of the sons of man. So God has made a covenant with creation that he won't destroy it again. And God has made a covenant to the nations. He's made a covenant through the rainbow, the promise of the rainbow, that he would not destroy the world again like he did the time of Noah. Now, I just want you to pause and think about that for a moment. We talked about it last week because God saved one family, but now God has promised to save what? A multitude of families from every tribe and tongue and nation. That's what he's covenanted to do. Now, I want you to think about this. The rainbow for the Christian is a covenantal sign of God's purpose to save the nations. So, sometimes Christians get all worked up because the rainbow has been taken as a symbol for something other than the Christian belief. But let me just tell you this. Here's how I look at it. This is how I think. Um, The rainbow is a sign in a world of destruction that God will save sinners from all kinds of corners of the world and people from all kinds of lifestyles. So I love the fact that the LGBTQ community, who I have friends and family who I love, I love that they have the rainbow. Now You might wrestle with that, but I want you to think about this. I love that they have the rainbow because the rainbow is a reminder that Christ came into the world to save sinners. And he saves them from every lifestyle, every tribe, and every people group. And when I see the rainbow flying somewhere, I don't become defensive as, as if that's something for me. That's not about me. That's a call to mission. It's a call to go into the world and preach the gospel. God has come to save, and he will save in the, in, the, in the most distant places and in the most distant hearts. How do I know? He saved me. Does that give you hope? God has not left the scene. Every time a rainbow comes up, I rejoice. Thank you, God, you're not stopping saving sinners for yourself. Put the rainbow up. Put it up. Put it in front of me. Wave it in front of me. And I will say this. God has covenanted to save a people from him for himself. And sin and darkness and Satan and death will not stop him. It's my two cents worth, folks. But I want to transform your thinking because that's what he's saying in Genesis 9. He forgives and saves sinners. Who's covenanted to do that he's covenanted who's he talking to did Noah have to do anything was 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 the was the covenant contingent on Noah no God made a covenant with us by his own word it's his rainbow I love rainbows I got a picture in one of my pictures I've got a rainbow of a farm over here and I got it at a great angle so it looks like it's coming out of the silo I don't know why I did that. It just kind of looked cool. There's a red farm. It's got a big silos, rainbow coming out. I have it in my computer. Every once in a while, I use it as a screensaver. It's a reminder to me, the covenantal work of God. God will save a people from places and, that you have never seen and lives that you had never expected. I believe that. You know why I believe that? Look at you. <laughs> Look at you. Who would have thought? And if you don't think it's you, just call my mom and dad. Because they're shaking their head to this day. I was not the most likely to succeed on the spiritual front in my family. An extraordinary dedication, finally, to speaking the gospel to sinners and about sinners. At the end of this passage, we have this kind of weird scene where you see the fallenness. What, happen- what does Noah do? Noah gets drunk, and he passes out in his tent naked. Don't you like how the Bible just gives you just the weirdest scenarios? And you think, if I wasn't to include something in the biography of the Bible, that might be a story I would leave out. 
This is just weird. But you and I need to realize that no word of Scripture is uttered in vanity. All Scripture is God-breathed. So here's what happens in this scene. He has three sons, right? Noah's sons. What do they do at the end? There's Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. Now, he gets drunk, and it says in verse 22, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the naked of his, nakedness of his, father's and his father, and what did he do? So I'm going to give you just a real quick editorial comment here. He decided to show his brothers the sin and shame of his father. Be careful, Christians. Be careful. It is not your job to shame the world. There is no place for Christians to feel better about themselves by pointing out the shame of others. There's no place for that because the gospel is exactly the opposite of that. What did the two other brothers do? They came, they took a garment, and they covered the shame of their father. Can I ask you this question? Has Jesus covered your shame? That's what the gospel is. The church is not the shame revealers. It, it has functioned like that. We're the self-righteous ones who point out everybody's going to hell in a handbasket. Look at what they've done. Look at how bad they are. My dear friends, are you not glad that God has not got a billboard of every thought you've had? Every word that you've ever spoken, every argument you've been engaged in, are you not glad that in Christ, Christ has covered your unrighteousness with his righteousness, your filthy rags with his white robes? I can tell anyone here today, you may have come in here ashamed of your sin, embarrassed by your sin, struggling with your sin, but if you confess your sins, God will forgive your sins and absolutely cleanse you. He will not shame you. He will not shame you. And we are not called to shame the world. We are called to bring the world to see the forgiving grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tim Chester says, Spiritual warfare is not about naming territorial spirits, claiming the ground, or binding demons. It's about the gospel. It's to live a gospel life, to preserve gospel unity, and to proclaim gospel truth. He says this is what we're called to do primarily. We're to take the gospel and apply the gospel in community. I need you to tell me, Kevin, your sins are forgiven by Jesus. Your hope is eternal, and, and, he, and he will never leave you and forsake you. And we're to live in unity and in community because the world out there is shaming each other, tweeting each other to death, insulting, putting publicly every sin they can find. Who, who wants to be in the public eye? Because in the public eye, it's only a matter of time where they say, ah-ha, ha Right. It is to do this to preach the gospel in the face of a hostile world, a deceptive enemy, and our own sinful desires. It's to pray to a sovereign God for gospel opportunities. Advance comes through godliness, unity, proclamation, and prayer. So this is what I'm called to do, to go out into the nations and to say, I mean, I ha I've, I've had this conversation recently, not too long ago, with a, a friend from Taiwan who's not a believer, who talked about the shame and the family and the feeling of shame from a long wound 20 years ago. And I can come and tell him of a God who forgives and doesn't treat us according to our sins, who did not come into the world that we might be condemned, but that we might be saved. He takes away shame. That's what we're called to do. That's what's going on here. That's why you get this weird thing. Go into all the world. Go out and fulfill all the world and fill the world with the glory of God. But don't go out there pointing out shame. 
go out there pointing out God, the gospel, forgiveness, and grace. Isn't that a great privilege that we have? Isn't it a great opportunity? That's your mission because that's your God. So let's um, bow our heads to pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and... um, they can play as they want. We're going to have the ushers in a moment um, take up the offering. And I just want you to stay seated. And as the offering is being taken up, I just want you to pray. Um, maybe you can pray, play through the first stanza as the uh, offering is being taken up, and then we'll, then we'll stand. But let's just pray. And let's just ask that we would see people for who they are. See God for what He's doing. And that we would see the hope of God's covenantal promise he's going to make all things new and that would drive us. So Father, as we um, worship this morning, as we've come into this place and thought what's going to be in the life of Noah in Genesis 9 and you've showed us your heart, your, your purpose, your covenant, your commitment, your grace towards us. We thank you. Forgive us our sins. Cover our shame. Fill us, dear God, with the promise. When we see that rainbow in the sky, may it remind us, dear God, you haven't stopped. You haven't stopped yet. You're still saving. You haven't brought destruction and judgment. That day will come. But, dear God, you've come that many would be saved. Thank you, dear God, that you started with us. But don't end it with us. Come and work in in our neighbors and work in our families, work in our children, our sons and daughters. Come, dear God, and work in our parents. Save them in Pakistan, in Nepal, the Hindu, and the Muslim. Come, dear God, show your glory. You said you would. And make your mission our mission. Make your passion our passion. Make your heart our heart. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about our church, times, and events coming up, go to www.waterbrook.church.